0: Good morning, Oceanside Sanctuary. It's good to be back with you here on YouTube and Facebook for our Pride Sunday service here at the Oceanside Sanctuary. Today, we're going to continue with our teaching series called The Spirit of Liberation, where we're visiting throughout the book of Acts places where the Spirit of God is showing up. And that is helping us to understand what it means for us to be spiritual as human beings and especially as followers of christ what does it mean when we say that we are spiritual or as an increasing number of people these days will say we are spiritual but not religious some folks identify in that way as people who are spiritual but not religious so what does that mean what does it mean for us to be spiritual what does it look like what does it feel like how can we know if we are spiritual human beings so we're going to take a look today at acts chapter ten. And we're going to look at the most important verse, I think, in the Bible that helps us to make sense of why it's necessary for us to embrace and fully include LGBTQ people. Before we jump into that passage, I want to invite you just to take a moment, as usual, to center your hearts and your minds with me as we pray together. Would you join me? God, we thank you again for today and for what it means for us to be followers of Jesus, to be spiritual human beings who are seeking to follow after what your spirit is doing in this world. As we open up this text and we explore it, we ask that you give us the courage to lean into what it means to follow after you and where your spirit is going. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, again, we're going to take a look at Acts In this case, Acts chapter 10. So if you have your Bible with you, you can turn there to Acts chapter 10. We're going to pick it up in verse 44. And we're going to talk a little bit about what this passage means uh, for how we follow after the Spirit of God in our lives and how we recognize what it looks like and feels like, again, to be spiritual human beings. If you have your Bible, you can turn there. If you don't, we're going to put the words up on the screen as usual. We're going to pick it up there In verse 44, it says, While Peter was still speaking, the Holy Spirit fell upon all who heard the word. And the circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astounded that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles. I want to pause there and just remind you what's happening in this story. Peter has gone to visit Cornelius, who is a Roman centurion and a Gentile, he's not Jewish. He's a Gentile, and he has his whole household there listening to Peter teach about the gospel, about what it means that Jesus has come and what it means to follow after Christ. Now, this is an incredibly important moment in the history of the church because, of course, Peter is preaching the gospel to Gentiles, and up to this point, to be a Christian meant that you were Jewish. Jesus, of course, was Jewish, Jesus' disciples were Jewish, and in the early part of the church, to be a follower of Jesus simply meant that you were a Jew who saw Jesus as the Messiah. But prior to this, in Acts chapter 10, something really fascinating happens. Peter is minding his own business, and God causes him to fall into a trance, and in that trance, Peter has a vision. And in the vision, these animals are lowered from heaven. And they're all the animals that Jews are not supposed to eat because, of, of course, Jews keep kosher laws. That's one of the most important beliefs of, of Jews, both ancient Jews and modern Jews, that they would eat kosher as a symbol of their belonging to God. And so there are animals that are forbidden for them to eat, like shrimp and pigs, right? These are foods that we eat today but would have been forbidden, would have been considered profane or unclean, by ancient Jews and even some who are living today. So Peter sees these animals, and God says, Hey, look, Peter, if you're hungry, why don't you kill these animals and eat them? And Peter says, No, Lord, I would never do that. I'm a good Jew. I don't eat those things. God says something really fascinating to Peter. I'm going to read it to you. This is in Acts chapter 10, verse 15. It says, The Lord said to him again, What God has made clean you must not call profane. God says this to Peter three times. What I have called clean, you must not call profane. Peter wakes up from this vision. He's confused, scratching his head. He doesn't know what's going on. And at that very moment, these messengers from Cornelius come, and they say, come to our our master's house, Cornelius's house, because he wants you to teach him about this Jesus and the message of Jesus. So Peter goes to Cornelius' house, of course. He walks into the house. He finds himself in a house full of these Gentiles. This is a little later in Acts chapter 10, and he says something really interesting. Let's pick it up here in verse 28. And he said to them, Peter said to Cornelius, and all of those who were in Cornelius' house, you yourselves know, that it's unlawful for a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone profane or unclean. So You see, Peter puts two and two together. He suddenly realizes that this vision he had of these profane or unclean animals and God saying to him, do not call unclean what I have made clean. Peter realizes That this isn't just about food that God has revealed to Peter that this whole group of people this whole group of people these gentiles that have been previously considered profane or unclean or an abomination this is how gentiles are spoken of in the Hebrew Bible Peter realizes that something is changing God's Spirit now is breaking with tradition. God's Spirit is breaking with the old religious order of things, and now including Gentiles who had been previously excluded. Then something else really amazing happened. So I want to go back to our original passage. We're going to pick it up here in verse 45. Remember, it says, "...the circumcised believers..." These are the people who were with Peter, the Jews who were with Peter. They were astounded that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles. Verse 46, for they heard them speaking in tongues and extolling God. And then Peter said, verse 47, can anyone withhold the water for baptizing these people who have been baptized by the Holy Spirit just as we have? So, this is how this story sort of culminates or concludes. Something incredible happens. Peter goes to visit this group of people, this group of people who are considered profane, unclean, an abomination by the the Hebrew Bible. And as Peter is speaking, the Spirit of God comes and immerses all of these profane, unclean people in God's Spirit. This is why the Jews were astounded. Because see, normally, according to the old order of things, in order to be included in the life of God, these people would have to convert to Judaism. They'd have to be circumcised if they were men, they'd have to begin to eat kosher, they'd have to practice Jewish holidays and celebrations, but here the Spirit of God dispenses with that tradition, dispenses with that old order, and baptizes these Gentiles anyway. Peter is astonished by this. And Peter says, how can we keep them from being baptized if the Spirit of God has already baptized them? This is a profound statement and a profound realization that Peter makes here. Because Peter recognizes that the the moral arc, the moral trajectory that the Spirit of God is moving in is one that includes people whether they accord with tradition or not. Peter recognizes that, that it's really not up to him. It's not up to him to decide whether or not these Gentiles are included in the life of God. It's not up to him to decide if they are good enough. It's not up to him to decide if they are clean enough or holy enough that the Spirit of God has made that decision already. And he knows this because they exhibit the evidence of the Spirit of God. Now, I think an important question here is, what is that evidence? What's the evidence that they've been included in the Spirit of God? I remember back in the late 90s, I was at a, a big Christian men's conference. This was the kind of men's conference in a kind of evangelical setting where men would go, and they would learn how to follow Jesus as men. And, you know, these conferences were full of a lot of kind of you know, hyper-masculinity, and, uh, you know, men would sing to to Jesus, and they would learn about what it meant to follow Jesus, and they would sort of uphold very traditional ideas and values about what it meant to be a man, or what it meant to be godly, or what it meant to be a family. And I remember, because, of course, I was raised in a very traditional, fundamentalist-leaning evangelicalism, I didn't really question a lot of that very much back then. I remember the first time I went to one of these conferences, we pulled up outside this big football stadium where the conference was happening. And outside the football stadium, there was another group of men who were protesting the event. And these men were carrying signs that said really ugly, hateful things. And they were dressed head to toe in military uniforms and camouflage. And their behavior and their speech was really um, antagonizing and intimidating and even, even angry and uh, violent. And of course, I, I've never been one to shy away from an argument. So as soon as we got there, I went over to that group of men. and I began to engage them in conversation just to find out who they are and what they were all about. And pretty soon we found some areas of disagreement and They would make a point and I would make a counterpoint. And every time I made a counterpoint, they would get angrier and angrier. And one of the guys I was arguing with, his face turned red. And he said to me, you want me to punch you right in the face. And I said, I I assure you, I do not want you to punch me in the face. But I realized that was probably a good time to let the argument go and to walk away. And so I did. I went inside. We had the conference and our morning sessions. And then at lunchtime... The organizers had all the men leave the stadium and go to a practice football field right next to the stadium and have their lunch. And so there we were at the practice field having our lunch and and right next to the practice field was a public park with a chain link fence separating them. And it just so happened that on that day at the public park next to that practice field, there was a gay wedding being conducted. And there were a few men who'd gone over to the fence and were engaging in a conversation on the other side of the fence with some of the guests from that wedding. And so, of course, I wandered over there and, you know, began to listen in and began to engage in some conversation. I remember I was having a conversation with a young woman in her mid-20s named Max, who was a lesbian. And she began to ask me, you know, what are you guys doing here? What's this all about? And you know, I told her what was going on, and then I began to ask her, you know, do you know? what it means to be a Christian. Do you know who Jesus is? And she said, oh yeah, I'm a Christian. I I know exactly who Jesus is. And I was astonished. I said, how can you be a Christian if you're a lesbian? And Max just looked at me with the kindest eyes and very lovingly, very patiently began to unpack for me her faith. All the ways that Jesus had liberated her and all the ways that Jesus' teachings had really helped her to grow and helped her heart to be full of love and compassion for others. And how she just couldn't imagine that a loving and good God would have a problem with her loving her spouse. And in that moment, I
1: realized
0: there was no way I could condemn Max. Because Max was the embodiment of Jesus. Max was demonstrating and exhibiting all the signs of love and compassion and patience and care that those men protesting outside the event utterly lacked. And even though both of those groups claimed to be Christians, even though both of them claimed to represent Jesus, only Max really exhibited the attributes of Jesus. And I realized that if, if Max was exhibiting the Spirit of God, then there was no way I could condemn her. And that is exactly what I think this passage is really all about. Peter realizes that when people exhibit evidence that the Spirit of God is in their lives, then we have no place to argue. I, and I think one of the best passages for this is actually Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. It's a familiar passage. This is Paul. He's talking about the fruit of the Spirit. And he's trying to explain what it looks like when the Spirit of God is at work in people's life. He says it produces something very natural. Galatians 5.22 says this, Paul says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against these things there can be no law. And that, I think, is our answer. At least one more answer to the question, what does it mean for us to be spiritual? It it means, of course, a number of things. It means we have a kind of energy from outside of us to pursue something important. It means we have the courage to pursue it, even in the face of threats. It means that we pursue it in a particular direction along what we borrowed from Martin Luther King Jr., that phrase... The moral arc of the universe bends towards justice. We are moving in a particular direction towards justice. And of course, it means that we do that. We move in that direction even when it breaks with tradition. But in addition to all of that, when we do follow that that fire inside of us to pursue the moral arc of the universe and to do it with courage and to break with tradition, when we do that, We know it's by the Spirit of God because it produces the evidence of God's Spirit in us. And that evidence is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control. There can be no law against these things. There can be no Bible verse against these things. There can be no doctrine or creed or church tradition against these things. Because to be against those things is to be against God. And friends, I just know too many LGBTQ friends, family members, and ministry colleagues who exhibit that evidence of the Spirit. And that cannot be condemned. And so we here at the Oceanside Sanctuary will not condemn them. It's my prayer that as a church, we would learn to lean into what it means to fully include and empower those members of the community who desire to become followers of Jesus and to live into that evidence of the Spirit in their lives. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you again for today for how your word inspires us and grows us and teaches us to love and teaches us to follow after you. We pray that you'd give us the courage to do that. In Jesus' name,
1: amen. Hey guys, it's Kaya. And before you head off today, we have a couple quick announcements for you. Um, If you're new to the Oceanside Sanctuary, hey, hi, hello, welcome. We are so excited to have you joining our community. Um, We would love to get to know you and connect with you. So simply just visit our website, oceansidesanctuary.org contact and we will be in touch with you. Um, We're so excited to have you joining us and joining our community. We have our annual congregational meeting today um, at 1215 after um, service, Uh, so we hope to see you there. Um, We have our first book club uh, July 1st uh, from 6.30 to 8pm and that's going to be on Zoom so make sure to head over to the website and uh, get that link and we would love to see you there. Um, For that book club make sure to RSVP um, at oceansidesanctuary.org calendar uh, so you can have a spot that is guaranteed. Um, Friday, July 2nd at 7.30, we have an Oceanside Theater night. Um, it's at Moonlight Amphitheater, and you can buy your tickets, um, on the Moonlight uh, website, which is MoonlightStage.com, or you can, uh, get in contact with Alex, which, uh, his email is alex.oceansidesanctuary.org for that. Um, we are a nonprofit 501 501c3 organization, and we rely on the gifts and donations of all of you guys so if you would like to donate and help out uh simply just visit our website oceansandsanctuary.org uh, and you can find it on the website um save the date uh all of you junior highs and high schoolers hi that's me too um we are so excited to have you here um We are having a junior high and high schoolers week of service, which is July 19th through 23. Um, There are gonna be more details as we get closer to those dates. So parents and junior Highers and high schoolers, make sure to um, look out for those. Um, Thank you for coming uh, if you are in person or on Zoom. Uh, We are so excited to have you here and we'll see you next time.